All of us believe something about the end of the world. Entire ecosystems are collapsing. We are in the beginning of a mass extinction. Eschatology means the study of the end times. I'm really getting nervous here about what are we going to do? We, we, I'm useless. I know how to use a spreadsheet. We dismiss it as someone else's business. He's talking about the tribulation period. All hell is going to break loose on earth. In other words, no matter how bad things are right now, you ain't seen nothing yet. And this podcast is all about eschatology and what people really believe about the end of the world. And I'll be joined by my great friend, Pete Milner, who is a master of theology, a great student of history, and just a great thinker and all-round good egg. So join me in this exciting adventure. Hi, everyone, and welcome to another Sauntering Podcast with me, Paul White, and my dear friend, Pete. Hi, everyone. And today we are continuing on our series of eschatology and we're going to start to have a look at the Christian view of eschatology and obviously um, declaring an interest we are Christians (laughs) 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 so we we probably have some preset ideas that we're going to bring to the party Um, and they may or may not fit in with what you think um, but please don't hate us. Do feel free to comment, however, and let's try and keep our comments courteous and friendly, mm. bearing in mind we're hopefully on the same side. Yeah, and we've got to recognise that, haven't we, that yeah. there are so many Christian eschatologies. Indeed. And in one way of looking at it, Christianity is an eschatology yep. with a lot of different kind of sub-stories within it. You may hear the sound of um, power tools. Someone's do it using a stone saw outside, so... <laughs> Hopefully we can <laughs> get above that one. Um, I've got a report here in front of me, Pete, that was um, commissioned in 2020. Mm-hmm. I think the, the research was done just before the pandemic. And it says that almost nine in ten pastors see at least some current events matching those Jesus said would occur shortly before he returns to earth. Mm-hmm. And it's... It's uh, kind of based, it's done by Nashville-based Lifeway Research, and it okay. finds something like from evangelical and historically black churches found 97% say they believe Jesus Christ will literally and personally return to earth again, but they see, I uh, think it was nearly nine, one in, um, sorry, nine, nine in out ten. of ten could see signs today um and we talked about some of our recipes for an eschatology, didn't we? And mm-hmm. we talked about an existential threat, a yep. moral decline. Yep. And um, the, the prophet and the sandwich <coughs> board people who were out there sort of spreading the message. That's right. And of course, we've got all the prophets in the Old Testament and in the New Testament. We've got Jesus himself saying things yep. of a very eschatology. Yes, yeah, the sky will be darkened nature. and the moon will turn to blood yep. and there'll be wars and rumours of wars and all these things. And yep. some angels talking to the apostles saying, you know, he's going to come back. Yes. And so we've got all of that. We've got many, many preachers and evangelists who've been proclaiming this really since the very departure of Jesus to heaven. Well, of course, yeah. But so some of these things that the um, pastors these nine out of ten pastors would point to one is the rise of false prophets and false teachings okay causing a departure from the faith which is sort of linked to a quite clear teaching within the scripture isn't it yes it is and jesus himself said that false christs would appear and you know and so on then also that the love of many believers would grow cold. Yeah. I think 81% cited that one. Mm. Traditional morals becoming less accepted, so 79% were mm-hmm. up for that one. Wars and national conflicts, 78%. Mm, Earthquakes we? and other natu- natural disasters, 76%. So a lot of these were able, so they were able to answer multiple questions. Yeah. Um, and, as and in indicated. each case, this is the percentage of Christian pastors yep. in evangelical churches where they believe that these things are clearly showing a link to the end of days as yeah. such. Right. I think it was done in America, just uh-huh. to 
as a disclaimer as well. And the number of people abandoning their Christian faith, 75% saw that as an indicator, 70% saw famines as an indicator, mm-hmm. and 63% saw a general t- trend of anti-Semitism towards Jewish people worldwide, mm. and 63% were kind of up for that. 11% didn't see anything going on. That <laughs> nothing <laughs> to report. should suggest, yeah. All quite on the Western Front. Yeah, kind of yeah. yeah. <laughs> so anyway, this is the. I think we. What what I'm trying to say is that there there certainly people anecdotally that we mm-hmm. talk to would have a very strong sense that the end is nigh, as yes. it were. Um, and I did. I do. I think I just repeat. I did remember seeing as a child on the streets of London when I went up to visit with my dad mm. once a memorable trip. Seeing these guys with um, sandwich boards that said "The end is nigh" and mm. "Prepare to meet your God" or "Thy God," I think it was. Mm. Got to use the King James. Yes, because like it makes it impact. more portentous, doesn't it? If you do. <laughs> Yeah, and so uh, there's this sense of imminence, and um, I think seventy-eight, oh, sorry, fifty-eight percent thought of white evangelicals in 2010 mm. thought Jesus was going to come back in their lifetime. So yeah. very, very imminent. Yes. So uh, just can we zoom out? All right. And look at the bigger picture, Pete. You're very, very good at history, and you great at keeping dates in your head. I. My head, is like a, <laughs> <laughs> my head is like a sieve when it comes to dates. I sometimes like, keep notes, listener. It's not all just in my head. <laughs> Give us a bit of a an overview historically of Christian eschatology, because I think 2,000 years is quite a long time. It is. And a lot of developments will have happened in that time. Yes. Have people always held to that sense of the imminence of Christ's return, or is it being slipped into the background um yes both is my answer i think that it can be clearly shown within the scripture that in the first century when the church was still starting and the apostles were still alive there was a strong sense that jesus would return in their lifetime right particularly peter says you know don't worry the lord is not being slack about coming back as some are saying Uh, He's not slack in keeping his promises, but he's being patient because he wants salvation to come to all people, right? So So would it be true to say that even as Peter's writing, some people were thinking, well, where is he? He's he's not come back. Yes, where is this coming that was promised? Yes, exactly. So So we're talking about maybe 60, 50 AD, that kind of time. So, So, you know, 30 years after he'd gone. They're like, oh, I'm giving up on this. Yeah, and and, and Paul writes to the Thessalonians as well, who are worried about this. He says, don't worry, if you die before he comes back, that doesn't mean you're going to miss it. But the dead will be raised right. and we'll meet him all together. So don't worry if you're dead before he comes. He's still coming. It's just um, that same thing that Peter's trying to say. You know, the, it's the Lord's timing. We don't know the day or the hour. Right. And as far as they knew, it could be in that first century after Jesus. And I think I, I wouldn't be able to cite chapter and verse on every century since Christ. Right. But I, I'm sure that every generation that has come since has believed that it will be their end, mm-hmm. you know, that, that the end end will be in their lifetime. I'm, I'm very confident of the most recent centuries, which are the easiest ones to yeah. read people's writings that they yeah. left behind. But I'm sure that all the way through, there have been Christians who said, this must be it, you know, this yeah. is, we, we can't possibly. And I think they lean on two things hard for that. And it's two promises Jesus makes within the book of Revelation in the last chapters. So the first one is where he says, I make all things new, which is Revelation 21 verse 5. And the second one is basically the penultimate sentence in the Bible where he says, I am coming soon. Mm. And for me, I mean, my way of, of looking at Christian history with regard to this issue is that those are two promises that there will be renewal which is God ordained and, and will refresh the church, revitalize it, yep. you know, fill it, empower it. And we love it. those times. Don't we just? <laughs> and the other is that the return is real and he really is okay. coming. Yes. And that 
he does come, and whatever renewal is, it's not the same as Jesus coming back. You no, know, so like, there's always that kind of longing and cry, yes. heart cry for his return. Yeah, and that's all the way through the New <coughs> Testament too. You know, you've got you know the the, uh, the Aramaic expression Maranatha, mm-hmm. which is you know, our Lord yeah. come, and yeah. people are longing, and and, and, and we we pray. Um, we, we, we do the Lord's Supper, mm-hmm. which, you know, we proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. Amen. Come, Lord yeah. Jesus. It's all through the scripture that he's not back yet. You know, we, we pray our father in heaven. We know the son is in heaven. What we want and what we long for is for him to come back. So you've got a renewal on yep. the one hand and Jesus's return on the other, which mm. are things that he promised would happen. And there is a sort of consistency within the church through history to show that when there has been decisive renewal and, you know, huge outpourings of power and, and the gospel running at full strength, so to speak, yeah. people start to expect that this must be it. Right. And it's renewal that helps us think, so that wow, kind of you know, how can it get Renews our expectation of his return. Indeed, yeah. yeah. I mean... I think probably all Christians would agree that the church has some things it would like to get right that it's currently getting wrong. I mm-hmm. think we would all think probably that there's um, steps we could make in, you know, getting our teaching right, in getting evangelism done better and yeah. more fully, in experiencing the kind of full armament of the miraculous and the, the yeah. giftings that are sort of spelled out in the New Testament. And most of us feel that we've still got yet to move in these things. Yeah. But the feeling is once they're all done and once the gospel's gone to all the nations and once the Holy Spirit's power and rule and reign is happening in every country all at once, then the end will come. And it's because of the Bible that we believe those things, Mm. right? But I think the historic pattern is that God is more than willing to do renewal, reformation, revival without Jesus returning. Because there are some great revivals through yeah. history where that's happened. Global evangelism movements, you know, great reformation of biblical Christianity without Jesus coming back. Because we're still here, obviously. So it's like <clears throat> repeatedly through history, we see the kind of tide come in mm-hmm. and sweep in many converts to Christianity. Yes, yeah. And so from our theological understanding those people who've come in in that generation are now safely with god enjoying yes. the benefits of salvation nobody's more happy stuff. than they are yeah sure. they're among the redeemed of the lord yeah that great cloud of witnesses yeah which is so lovely but at the same time when the tide of revival or renewal kind of recedes a bit we're left with this kind of thing of ooh, the, the disappointment feeling. Yeah. Yes, exactly. And so um, I find that Christians either tend to have quite a static um, view of Jesus coming back, mm-hmm. which sounds a bit like we don't know, we can't know, nobody knows, right. that's it. Yeah. You know, we'll just do the gospel thing as best we can. We'll continue to seek for God. We'll continue to seek for renewal. But as to Jesus is coming, we can't know. And my impulse is then to say it doesn't matter. You know, all, so, the, all the talk we have about like when and how is is irrelevant to these people because when when people are in stasis, they just want to deal with the gospel and it's like well, predicting the time of the end, watching the times and seasons. I yeah, yeah. people vote yeah, their and what, surely Jesus set us up for that kind of view when he said you you know you don't you can't know because even the sun doesn't know. <laughs> Which is just about one of the most extraordinary things in the Bible for my yeah. money. But yes, exactly. And, you know, the, the I said there were two. The one is the very static belief that, you know, we don't know and we can't know. And people go for long periods of time, sometimes whole lifetimes like that. Mm. But when there is a renewal and there is a sort of fresh expectation and, and you know, a revivification of, of those special feelings of, wow, God's imminent. And, and you know, this, this is kind of it. Um, then you get this whole um, kind of expectation of his imminent return, right. which starts taking shape. And within different generations and within different centuries in Christian history, that has taken shape at different times in yeah. different ways. So um, more recently, um, there's been a lot of talk about a um, 
you know, resurgent and reformed um, Israeli state, you know, right, Jewish yeah. state, yeah. which has got people thinking um, the Cold War, the World Wars, uh, the end of the Cold War, um, the reemergence of war in Europe, um, the rise of China, the kind of population explosion, mm -hmm. all of these things have kind of formed up as part of the narrative of expectation yeah. for some people where others in the church at the moment are feeling much more static about, you know, we don't know, we can't know. There's so much we could zoom in on mm. just in those few statements. So Jesus said that the son at the time of writing or yes. the time of him saying, excuse me, that even he didn't know. Sure. So that we weren't actually going to know. Yeah. And it's and he said particularly it's not for us to know times so and that, seasons set by the that Father. That kind of... For her, you know, kind of, kind of drives us into a kind of almost that stasis that you're talking about. Mm -hmm. Is there any benefit in trying to work it out? I mean, people do, don't they? I mean, they people sure have do. written endless books about yes, this, that, and the other. Mm -hmm. What was the? What's the kind of history of that kind of well process? At present, there's a substantial group of people who feel that what Jesus was saying was not really that he didn't know and nobody knew and that it was impossible to know, know. Yeah. but he was giving a sort of slightly coded message. <clears throat> and I think this is a real key here. So the, the slightly coded message has to do with a certain subset of Jewish weddings where a, a tradition purportedly exists where the father of the groom sets the date and the time and it's sort of a marvelous secret yeah. and it's there's a sort of great unveiling you know and it's, yeah. it's it's supposedly called the day and hour that nobody knows right so when jesus says the day about that day and hour the you know reunification of, of christ with his bride the church about that time nobody knows and they would say aha i bet that's a code and then what else did Jesus say about the time in the end? Well, he said, you know, there'll be wars and rumours of wars and famines and plagues in various places and this will happen and this will happen. Sure. And, you know, you'll be like the virgins, the ten virgins, the parable about, you know, they'll you need to keep your oil like for your lamp and, and sort of keep it burning for that time because you watch and you watch and you wait. You see the times and seasons mm -hmm. and then, you know, aha, and the harvest is here. The, the time has come. Yeah. And so. This, this impulse to see these words as, as, you know, perhaps a code and perhaps more than a code about those who know will know when it happens. Right. That impulse is, is the other thing. So where, yeah. where the static person just takes it as read that we don't know, we can't know, nobody knows, not even Jesus. The other person sort of sees all these marvellous hints and these strong hints and, and impulses and inclinations and, and other leadings within the text. I mean, let's be fair, it's it's there too. Yeah. But the feeling is that if we're right with God and we're in the know, we will know when it happens. Sure. And that impulse seems to me to always end up with it being in your lifetime, the date. Yes. Because the apocalyptic tone of some of the <laughs> scripture kind of leads you to think that time is short and it is within a hundred years i say with some certainty you and i shall both be dead and we shall be there that will be it for us you know we haven't yeah. got long have we no and could jesus appear before we die yeah so that if if my mindset is about that focused expectation, that sort of impulse to try and interpret geopolitical events or mm -hmm. natural disasters as part of that code that's telling the people in the know that this is it. Which is what our pastors in the survey were doing, clearly. Absolutely. Yeah, you they're... know, they say, you know, war with Russia, Israel, uh, you know, the Islamic countries, you know, the, the, yeah. um, the threat to financial Israel. upheaval, global pandemic. Is this the same as wars, rumours of wars, yeah. uh, pandemics, outbreaks, like pestilence? Oh, sure does. Yeah. So, <laughs> of course. Yeah. You know, um, I, I have to be honest with you. My impulse as somebody who, who studies and loves history is always to sort of say, yeah, but. Mm -hmm. And, you know, yes, there's war in Europe. And yes, there was a global pandemic. And yeah. yes, there's political upheaval. And yes, there's some departures from the faith in certain parts of the country, but in of the world, sorry. But there's also widespread renewal and church growth. There was also a way worse war in Europe not very long ago. Yeah. And, you know, within living memory where 
perhaps 20 million people died. Unbelievably you know, awful. It's awful yeah. in Ukraine at the moment, but it's not quite like that. Not at that level, yeah. And I'm thinking, well, yeah, there's, there's other times in history where people looked around them with that mood of urgency and that, mm. that desire to decode the mystery. Yeah. And they saw a date in their own lifetimes, usually, which said, this is it. Or, you know, quite yeah. close to their lifetimes. And... The, the disappointing thing and the hard thing and the thing that kind of makes people resort to stasis and that feeling of like, okay, fine, I'll give up with that expectation is the clear and true thing that so far everybody who's predicted the date of Jesus is appearing has definitely been wrong, haven't yeah. they? So yes. <laughs> we've got a 100% strikeout rate so far yeah. and that will make you either say, ah, oh, yes, but this time... Or it makes you say, yeah, I just think it's that we can't know. Yeah. And yeah. I know which side of that fence I would tend to sit on. Sure? But that doesn't mean it's true that we will have no ability to interpret the times as they begin to shift and as yeah. things continue to develop. Yeah. I'm, I'm really strongly resisting the urge to jump in on some little details and kind of try and tease them out. Because mm. I think we, we can do that, but maybe we'll do that in the next session. Okay. But I, I just... Um, going back to the historical view, so um, prior to the Reformation, what was the thinking going on? All right, so um, once upon a time, a thousand years ago, there was a church, um, a Christendom, if you like, in mostly Europe, but also parts of Africa and Asia. And this Christendom was all the Christians that there were. And most people within Christendom um, were sort of, um, the, the, the church was sort of gathered under certain authorities and most of them were either under the church at Rome as part of the Latin Catholic Church or they were sort of part of a confederation of churches called the Orthodox Church in the East. So it was Western and Eastern Christianity. And in the medieval kind of um, time period, the main perceived threat was Islamic invasion from the Middle East, from North Africa and from Asia. So there was, right. you know, um, Arabs and then there was Mongols and Turks and, sure. and, you know, all these people. I hope none of those ep um, eponyms are derisory. But the, the, there were all sorts of upheavals. Mm -hmm. And the feeling was it was like fortress Christianity yeah. against this sort of multitudinous horde of barbarian invaders. Sure. And you will know, as I do, that in Revelation there's a, a, a plague described where this army of hundreds of millions of, of demonic sort of locusts and things sort of mm -hmm. ravage the earth, burning everything in their path. And, and a thousand years ago in medieval Christianity, you know, 1200s, 1300s, people were looking and seeing this exact wow. thing. You know, this, this army of, of horsemen that were, you know, pouring into Europe and across the world and taking it yeah. all over. And yeah, it, right. Into it, there Spain. Was a very, yeah, yeah, there was a very strong sense that that was it and the crusades were partly to try and answer that challenge and, and to fight against what was yeah. perceived to be this existential threat against christianity but what happened in the medieval period is um especially in the west i'll say especially in the west because mm -hmm. we've kind of talked about the orthodox theology of the third robe and the idea yeah. that the, the the christian succession goes a slightly different way but in the west of europe there's this um kind of way that medieval christianity kind of grows ugly arms and legs yeah. and growths and sprouts and starts to become something very unlike the original sort of new testament christianity it's hugely wedded to um temporal power isn't it earthly power yes. kings emperors yeah and, and armies yeah that's right territorial and not just that but there's all sorts of weird kind of mythologies and superstitions that are kind of added right. on to medieval catholicism sure and when martin luther appears about 500 years ago he's probably the pivotal person who takes this on and says mm -hmm. the medieval latin roman catholic church has grown into a monster and it's time for us to reform completely this this hideous thing that we've created which sort of propagates all these weird and untrue things that just aren't in the Bible. And in the West of Europe, that's kind of, he's one of the people who are reading the texts now in their original Greek language. Yeah. And he's just thinking, 
I can't see any of the stuff we talk about in <laughs> yeah. here. And yeah. I can't see any of the stuff that's in here in our current practice. And so... Sure. And so he had a view that that sort of lingers on, doesn't it, in the collective consciousness of evangelical Christianity, that the Pope is the Antichrist and this whole sort of Catholic thing has become the very enemy of the true church. Exactly. And notice that the mood is both for renewal and the desire is to decode the message. Right. And, you know, the, the sense is that if in Revelation and in Thessalonians and in 1 John and in lots of the, the Bible, there's this man of lawlessness, this, this anti-Christ, the, the impulse then is to look around you and say, who are the candidates? Right, yeah. And, and Martin Luther, and like you say, a lot of Protestantism has historically held on to his original accusation, which is that, you know, the Pope has, has, is Antichrist. He's seated um, on the throne and he's surrounded by glittering gold and he rules the nations yeah. with, with power. And, and he, in Martin Luther's view, is deceiving everyone. And so he's like, this is it. This is, this is the guy. And um, I remember reading um, William Tyndale, and he's one of the first people who was trying to translate the Bible into what we recognize as English. Mm. And he had this little bit of commentary. I was reading his thing on Genesis, and there's this great story in the Bible, Cain and Abel, uh, where um, they both offer a, a, a sacrifice, and the Lord finds Abel's acceptable and not Cain's, and Cain is so jealous and gives in to sin, he murders his brother. And in the, in the sort of margins, William Tyndale had written this bit of commentary. He says, Cain was filled with hatred and violence and killed his brother. The bishops and cardinals are the Pope's Cains. Wow. And that was, like, that was fairly explicit. I was like, come on. <laughs> like, <laughs> the story Cain Abel has nothing to do with the medieval Catholic Church. But when you kind of have this way of looking at things, the, the desire is to see everything that mm -hmm. happens as part of, of yeah. this narrative. And so within the Reformation, so we're talking about the 1500s and into the 1600s, mm -hmm. there is a strong sense within Christianity that, that, that Reformation is essential. You end up with a Protestantism and a Catholicism. In the end, Catholicism also reforms. And sure. what, what, 16, what 1600s Catholicism looks like is not really what 1400s Catholicism looks mm -hmm. like. And the church moves on to other things. But... A lot of people in that 1500s and early 1600s um, move uh, are seeing that Christianity is being reformed closer to what the original, as they understand it, was. And they're thinking, now that we're back, you know, Jesus can come back. And so they would, they had this view then that um, they, they didn't talk too much about the millennium. So they understood, because Catholic Church has always taught and had done for centuries, that the millennium was the time when Jesus would rule on the earth through the church. Right. And that the church is the earthly manifestation of the kingdom of heaven. And so Jesus is enthroned in the church as um, and, and he's ruling on the earth. And that's what the millennium of Revelation, where Jesus reigns on the earth for a thousand years, they believed that that's what that was. So they saw their own um, influence in the earth at their, the time mm -hmm. as being millennial. Yes. The millennial rule of Jesus. Yes, exactly. So that would be, if we were going to give that a modern term, that would be a millennial. That's exactly right. Yeah. yeah. So the Catholic Church had taught this all this time and the reformers, they still thought the end was nigh and that Jesus would return. But this belief that the church age, or the time where the, the church is present in the world, this was um, mainline teaching. There were some other people, particularly in what we now call the Radical Reformation, where, you know, ugh, how would I describe it? So, basically, the Luther and the Anglicans and some Calvinists, their impulse was to reform the church so that you had something that was still holy, Catholic, apostolic, but just not Roman. Yeah. And, you know, the, and not with all this medieval superstition mm -hmm. and fluff on it. And so the modern Anglican church, the modern Lutheran church, the, perhaps the Presbyterians, but maybe not um, the um, Episcopalian churches, for instance, they, they wanted something that was basically more like the Catholic church, but just right. 
where they saw there was wrong. Mm -hmm. Whereas the radical reformation was like, what are we doing wearing robes? What are we doing having glittering gold in our churches? We want Woodhouse churches. We want just a Bible. Um, But yeah, basically to pull it all down, start from the beginning. What did he call us to do? Repent, believe, we'll start with that. You know, Bible, yes. Pope, no. You know, um, church, yes. Big stone temple church that took everyone's income for a hundred years to build no, no. we're yeah. doing wood churches house churches small churches we're going back to basics right and so the reformation the radical reformation was much more extreme and it's from there that you get this belief that the millennium this description of jesus reigning on the earth you know and, and the, the gospel being in all nations they're like this can't be it you know right. surely this is still to come. Yeah. And so the beginning of the belief that the millennium itself was to come was a new thing okay. that's not really in the Protestant sure. age. So then we have some significant moves of God, don't we, in the 1700s? Yes. In North America and Britain and Europe. Yeah, and that's that's really the beginning of um, global evangelism as we now know it. So the it was called the Great, the Great Awakening. And within the sort of Reformed and Calvinist churches, it was led by people like George Whitfield and Jonathan Edwards. Um, but the, it, there was also uh, John Wesley, mm-hmm. who came from the sort of non-Calvinist, but yes, Protestant side. And they were revivalists, and they were experiencing this incredible move of God where thousands of people would wasn't it? come to radical yeah. new faith and, you know, throw off old kind of ways and, and live lives of real repentance. Massive preaching in the open air. That's right. You know, you'd have Working whole class people. That's right. And grassroots. the whole lot, whole spectrum of society. That's right. They did. And, and in the 1700s, this, this great awakening affects mostly <laughs> Christians at first, but there's this fresh missionary zeal mm-hmm. that just causes people to just go out everywhere. And the beginnings of empire, like in North America, as well as Latin America, Africa, Asia, the the European Christians went out. You know, they went out to all nations and thought, you know, we've done it. We've discovered the world. We can go round the world now. We know what all the continents are and it's time to evangelize them all for Jesus. And this was big, big new things in this first great awakening in the 1700s. And there was a great big pile of people who then felt that because the gospel was going to all the nations and because Christianity was reforming and they were kind of recovering that zeal and and passion for evangelism, that the end was nigh. And they started to, again, predict the date of Jesus's return and to kind of lay dates and times to sort of geopolitical things that were happening at their time. And they would look at empires and they'd look at wars, they'd look at famines and they'd look at things like that. And they'd say, goodness, here it is. So is it right that even John Wesley had set a date in his own mind? He did, yeah. Really? I, I think his date was 1833 or 1836, which was uh, about 40 years after he died in the event. But wow. he was like, yeah, I can't see any other way how it's going to be any longer than this. Really? Yeah. So because just because of the growth of the gospel... Yeah, the and, and also interpreting the signs, you know, there was wars, right. rumours of wars and upheaval and, and blood and fire and smoke in various places and... You know, there, there were eclipses, there were signs in right. the sky that, that things were happening so he, in a new way. And he, he just put, couldn't think of any other way yeah. of looking at it. Sure. How long, oh Lord, can it yeah. last? You know, how long? Good question. And, <laughs> <laughs> it's asked by the people who are oh under the altar goodness. in heaven, isn't it? Yeah, yeah. How they, long, oh Lord, before they you They cry avenge. out and they're going, come on, what are you waiting for? And wow. they just could not see that it could take any much more longer than that. Incredible. But that was the first Great Awakening, 1700s. There's then a second Great Awakening in the 1800s, which is the, I would say, the beginning of modern evangelicalism, where it's cross-denominational. We're in a much more sort of mood for church unity, although the denominations themselves, Baptists, Methodists, Anglicans, are still very strong. The, the, The need for global missions and worldwide evangelism in tough places like China and India is much stronger then than, than ever before. And this kind of second great awakening has like this, um, this, this, I think the second great awakening saw the evangelism and the new people coming to faith that the 1700s one maybe didn't see quite as much. But 
This time, in the Second Great Awakening, the mood in Victorian and pre-Victorian sort of 1800s is all about the end, actually. They yeah. are apocalyptic people. They are sure the end is coming. And mm. there are a lot of church movements that were kind of born in the 1800s that stem directly from people who were making specific predictions about when that would be. You know, this was the time, the Second Great Awakening was the time where you get a, a prophetic person say, it's coming, I've worked it out. You yeah. know, I've counted Daniel's days and I've counted yeah. the 1,260 days in Revelation and I've multiplied it by the amount of apostles and, and times it by the amount of popes that have since... And they, you know, divided by the square root of cat, and they get, they get a date. And there was this time, it's especially in the early 1800s, maybe the 1820s, 1830s, there was a lot of people, and they would routinely go and stand on a rock, holding hands somewhere, mm. literally counting down 10, 9, 8, 7, 6, 5, 4, 3, 2, 1, and then what? Yeah. And then... Nothing would happen. Yeah. And then a few of them would go, did you feel that? (laughs) And they're like, yeah, I guess. Some of them were like, I felt something. And the others are like, no. But the ones who who felt something say, we've done it. We're here. This is the end age. And now we should experience a new era of, of Christ's reign and rule. And, you know, we've, we've done it. We've anticipated the day it's happened. And now follow me and also give me your money. And we shall create a, a, a new movement which sure. will kind of reach to the ends of the earth and, and will experience the newness of things. And they, I'm going to be really quite cutting here, so I hope you'll forgive me. But the Jehovah's Witnesses, the Mormons, the Adventists are all born from people who were like that. Yeah. So tell us about the the, um, Millerites, William Miller. So William Miller is the (coughs) one who's sort of directly behind the Adventist movement. And and he he was writing prophetic writings Mm. about what would soon come to pass. And some of his ones were quite interestingly quite accurate. Because he was quite, uh, he had quite a good method of studying scripture didn't he, he and did. interpreting it by the rest of scripture which is quite a good yeah i mean you, you pattern to use really isn't it you can't I, really I would recommend that to yeah, everybody argue with that but he was well, i think it's true that he was unaware of some of his own impulses and biases sure. that weren't from the bible and yeah. so he was looking at the world around him and seeing this and seeing that and seeing that and, and weaving uh, that into his yeah, and, and his theology as such about God and about the church and about life and things was not, you know, hugely errant, especially. Mm-hmm. Um, but his prophecies were, and yeah. his specific prophecy that the world would end, I think in 1836, was not true. And um, the Millerites were the ones who, there's actually a historical thing you can look up if you want to, called the Great Disappointment, where... These people it's in a this heartbreaking sort of, name, isn't it? It is, but yeah. they were in this frothing, prophetic feeling of revival and passionate mm-hmm. study, and they were just counting down the days until this great date, and in the end, nothing happened. And a huge amount of people, you remember our original two categories that people either feel very urgently about renewal and yeah. imminence, or they feel very stasis about how things are. A lot of people abandoned faith completely, but mm-hmm. a lot of people just sort of went back to Christian denominations and just thought, nah, this kind of prophetic thing, this, this yeah. revival thing is, is not working out. Um, I'll go back to normal Christianity. During lockdown, I had some videos sent to me by various dear friends and mm. brothers and sisters around the world. Um, I should watch because this was putting into very clear terms that the end was going to be very, very shortly. I think September of 2020 Mm. was the prediction on that occasion. And um, I had one particular friend who lives in a country where Christianity is difficult and not encouraged by the the state, Um, although I think not institutionally persecuted. And he sent me these things and we, I connected with him on video Mm. call with his wife who speaks very good English. And I was saying, look, bro, I don't see this as being evidence that the Lord's going to return. I understand these people mean well, but I, I, I think in, and then she said to me, you've got to understand that where we live, Christianity is so apathetic. And so Mm. the people are so discouraged that, 
my husband is trying to galvanize them into a state of readiness and expectation. Yeah, gosh, just what a to condition. waken them up. Yeah. And I said that's absolutely beautiful and noble as a task, but I think the methodology is is going to fail because when it doesn't happen, and I don't think it will on the day that you're predicting, or these guys are predicting, because then you're going to have the people worse off than they were before. They're going to be disillusioned, and you're going to find it even more difficult to say anything to them with any kind of credibility because Mm -hmm. you've shot your bolt in that Yes. Well, I mean, if you if you drive a stake in the ground and you hang Christianity on that and you say, you know, because we're following Jesus, we believe that it's going to be 2020 and then it isn't 2020, 2021 comes and then goes and it still hasn't happened. Then the question is, what else will go? And if you've made your faith and your Christianity all about this date or this certain set of beliefs that's leading you to that date and it turns out to not be not be right. There's a danger that sad people will then throw babies out with bathwater and yeah, have no Christian yeah. faith at all. And you end up with an even more, um, what's the word, dispirited and kind of apathetic bunch of Christians than mm. you had before. Definitely. And and or if there's Christians at all, because many yeah, that way yeah. have shipwrecked their faith, haven't yeah. they? I just want to sort of swing back into this 1800s yeah, sure. environment Sorry. again that was a... and give you a new... Um, sort of belief that emerged then you remember sort of in the reformation period there's a fresh new kind of way of looking at the millennium where you know the millennium instead of being seen as just the time where mm-hmm. the church exists it started becoming a real expectation of a thousand years of jesus ruling on the earth in a different way to now in the 1800s the new belief that sort of does the rounds is the rapture right which is a um idea that Jesus will come and the church, the true believing church, will all be caught up to him in an instant. Yeah. And, you know, they, they would use the, the, um, the, the, par- the, the thing Jesus says about, you know, two women will be grinding corn. Sure. One will be taken, the other will be left. You know, two men will be in the field and one will be taken and the other will be left. This idea that taken, is, that's the literal Means word. lifted rapture. up. Yes, it, it's the taken ones out. taken out yeah. of the world. And the, feel, the the belief became that what will happen first is the church will suddenly disappear. And in an instant, blam, you know, we're all gone. You know, our clothes are in puddles yeah. on the floor. We're disappeared. And the rest of the world will have to sit and wonder what happened and why. And then the end will come and all of those sort of things in revelation like the plagues the pestilences the earthquakes the destruction that will all happen all those things follow the yes. sudden disappearance of christians from That's the right. face so of the, the, yeah. the the christians are taken out of it and those left behind so to speak will um have to sort of find their way to jesus in this sort of maybe seven year long period of, of catastrophic global destruction where everything comes to an end. And some would say that the Holy Spirit is also withdrawn at that point. Yes, they would. And, so and others would say um, that that's the time when um, Jewish people yeah. will freshly find themselves left behind and realise, oh my goodness, oh, that the was Christians it. were right all along. And then they'll become the cornerstone of the yeah. future sort of sure. tribulation church. And um, there was a very popular series of books, I'm sure that some of the listeners will know about, called the Left Behind yeah. series. They made a movie with Nicolas Cage in it, I think, as as, uh, as a one-off. But there were a series of books, there's about 20 of them, and they detail um, a, a story of people living through that great rapture and then the um, sort of destruction of the world, the little kind of... Um, plucky group of believers who are left behind who find faith after the rapture and, and sort of have to hang on until Jesus is glorious appearing um they're they're fabulous funny fun stories you know I, I read them all very very diligently as a teenager right, and yeah. they've stuck in my thinking ever since but um yeah this belief that there's a rapture that will come and a millennium and a glorious appearing is suddenly sort of stretching out that timeline yes. of expectations so that now instead of just expecting Jesus to come on the clouds and, and in, be revealed in glory, we're expecting one, two, six, fifty things first. And really the impulse to dis- decode the code yeah. 
has has led people to start thinking of a timeline for the end that's that's years and years of of predicted events that will happen in sequence. So the people like um, uh, Cyrus Schofield and John Nelson Darby within the kind of brethren and, and reformed congregational communities of faith in the 1800s, they were the first ones to really lay out this timeline. Yeah. And ever since, it's been hugely popular and it's got a lot of versions. So there's a lot of Christian preachers and teachers who've sort of taken it upon themselves to look at this timeline and, and sort of make changes and, and they, and, they and vary of... in nuance don't they in detail and this well, is this could be this but we think it's this and yeah, some people so, say this but actually it's this and... and my experience of them is that we would maybe i would see them as nuanced like the very very fine details yeah, are very yeah, very yeah, small yeah. but there's no lack of vigor in oh my this goodness belief. no People will absolutely leave churches yeah. and break fellowship with people yeah. who differ on incredibly tiny points of, of this kind of future construction. Yeah. In the church I grew up in, the Schofield Bible was the primary go-to study tool for mm-hmm. the book of Revelation. Yeah. And I remember going to a series of Bible studies on a Tuesday night where this particular brother would um, exposit um, Alas Schofield and he he talked about... Um, being an ultra dispensationalist. Ah, yes, yes. What's the idea behind dispensationalism? All right. Um, there's two within the <coughs> Protestant revival and a kind of um, faith community that we're a part of. Belief about the end tends to fall into two camps. One is called dispensationalism, and the other usually gets called covenant theology right. or something like that. And really, it's uh, the question of. Remember how God had an Israel and Jewish people who safeguarded the the First Testament and Moses and David and all of that. What about them? Because they're still in the world. You know, there's there's 20, 30 million of them even today in the 21st century. So what's the deal with Jewish people who reject the idea that Jesus is the Messiah, but still faithfully follow as best as they can the traditions and beliefs of their forebears? And dispensationalists take the view that Every one of God's covenants stands as written as far as God is concerned. And they would say that Jewish people who are still Jewish and being Jewish and believing Jewish are um, still in what you could call the covenant community where it's God's people. So although they reject Jesus, they are still part of God's covenant people. And, you know, they'll be other things to do with jewish people in in the future they believe but dispensationalists are the ones that say you could be jewish and not believe in jesus but still go to heaven um but you could also be christian believe in jesus and that's your way into the covenant people which the jewish people still are the covenant theologians which would be most of the kind of um older reformed um, denominations and um presbyterians and um anglicans of the sort of 16th century They took a view that each time God creates a covenant, it supersedes or completely replaces the previous ones. And so they would argue that um, all people everywhere, including Jewish people, are invited to repent and believe in Jesus Christ. And if you don't, you will miss out on being the covenant Mm -hmm. people. So the two views are, can you still come to God through one of the older covenants or not? And dispensationalists are the ones saying that they believe that Jewish people are still part of the covenant community and they were still um, brothers and friends together with the church. And as such, we should write this historic wrong that has been the Jewish people living without a nation, without a geographic land um, for centuries and centuries and build them a nation again. Right. And there were actually like some people wanted to do that in Madagascar. Some people wanted to do it in Central Asia. But in the end, the sort of thing that, that held in was this belief that there should be a, a Jewish nation reformed within historic Israel, Palestine, the Middle East, where the promised land was. And that is what ended up happening was wow. because people believed that thing. And um, although there were beginnings of it before the Holocaust and the Second World War, the Second World War was really the thing that everybody kind of agreed. We cannot have yes, this. Yes, absolutely. We need to give these people... 
a nation they can defend and, and live in in freedom and safety because they're just the the historic persecutions <coughs> they have suffered are just utterly appalling you, you cannot you have this dreadful and that was what resulted in sort of the the formation of the modern jewish state cool <coughs> my <laughs> voice is <coughs> my voice has gone squeaky mm. So, yes, a lot of ground. And thank you, Pete. You're doing a great job. What we're going to do is we're going to have another session um, episode following on from here where we're going to um, talk about the kind of main thinking that's around today yeah. and try and unpack that a little bit within the Christian um, eschatological belief system. Um, bearing in mind that, you know, we're all, that it hasn't happened yet. So unlike Jesus' first coming, when, when um, the apostles and the early church looked back on the Hebrew scriptures, they could then see, and no doubt Jesus did some very good explanations mm. on the road to Emmaus and all times like that, <laughs> helping them to understand the Old Testament scriptures in the light of his coming. It's always a lot easier to observe the prophecies <clears throat> once the actual thing has happened but yes. we're in this state aren't we of kind of anticipating his return every time we share communion mm -hmm. and people do around the world whatever by yeah. whatever name they call it holy communion mass mass you could, uh, we're, we're declaring the lord's return until he comes mm -hmm. but we are at the same time as you so elegantly put pete juggling the challenge of stasis being stuck in this kind of waiting game yeah with also this great desire and great expectation for renewal revival and his glorious appearing and his glorious appearing mm -hmm. and so we thank you for a real good uh, whistle stop tour of <laughs> two thousand years of history pete <laughs> and we're gonna uh, i hope you'll join us next time mm. uh, um Thank you so much for listening and please share and like and mm. get it out there. Cool. Thanks, Paul. Great job, Pete. Oops. <laughs>